Angelus Domini, Nuncia mit Grazia plena Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Liturgical Looking Glass, a program that looks at the liturgy of the churches. At, that looks at the church's liturgy for the week ahead with me, Tim Hutchinson. And with me, Nick Swarbrick. And a happy feast to everybody on the Feast of the Holy Archangels. Indeed. Um, uh, Tim, do you want to start us off with a prayer? I shall. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who dispose in marvellous order ministries both angelic and human, graciously grant that our life on earth may be defended by those who watch over us as they minister perpetually to you in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So that is the collect for today's feast, um, as you may have have noticed. And... Um, I must say, I've really enjoyed going through the liturgy for today, um, just in the office of uh, the, the morning prayers this morning and also in the, um, the Mass. And one thing that struck me was how, uh, if you think about how often angels appear in the Bible um, and you were to, to think to yourself, well, what would be the key texts to use on a feast day like this? Um, oh right. I, okay. <laughs> I hadn't thought that the um, I hadn't really thought that the emphasis would would fall where it does. Um, I don't know what would you have thought if if you, if that question were put to you. Given well, you probably given know we, it already. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we could have had a three a three year cycle of readings if we wanted to and used readings from the three uh, named archangels in the Bible. Um, I was surprised that we have quite so much of, a, of an apocalyptic feel, both to the Office of Readings and to the readings in the Mass. But I suppose at least what you've got with, with Michael is you've got some, someone that is consistent and named throughout both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. And I suppose there's, that's one reason for going with those. We've got Michael is, is in the book of Daniel, as well as uh, appearing in the, um, in the book of the Apocalypse. It did surprise me that there wasn't quite as much on, um, uh, on uh, Gabriel as we might have expected. I do wonder whether, because there were, they all used to have their separate feasts as well as this feast, I wonder whether Gabriel had a certain prominence on his own feast, which comes just before the Annunciation. Uh, I think we mentioned it way back in, yeah. in March when we just started, and the idea that perhaps it's the celebration of God saying, oh, you go, and uh, <laughs> and, and, and send, sending him off. Um, Maybe people felt that there, were, there was enough of Gabriel already in the liturgy. What do you think? Yeah, uh, that's that's a bit of history that I haven't spent time thinking about. And I do remember us mentioning it in a previous episode. I think 
I mean, the the whole idea of celebrating the angels is is not one that that I've spent a great deal of time on. But what I found interesting was how this passage from uh, John's gospel, with the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, is yeah. something which comes up in various places, both in the divine office and in the mass, in various prayers. And and I thought, wow, that's that is interesting. You know, we could have, like you say, this. There's Gabriel, there's, um, I mean, it does, we do have the passage from Daniel in the Old Testament as a yep. first reading. Um, there's the Apocalypse, um, there's Tobit, there are, um, I mean, the, Tobit doesn't mention uh, Michael, so that's that's obvious that that wouldn't really be a, a choice. But um, yeah, I, it's noteworthy because it is a rather obscure passage in, in some ways it takes one by surprise. And every time I read the Gospel of John, I thought, well, that's strange. Look at that there, you know, like just after the, the encounter with Nathaniel. Yes. Um, yes, Jesus as Jacob's ladder, I think is an interesting, it's an interesting one. Uh, the, uh, the author, of, uh, the folklorist and author, Alan Garner, who I suppose people would all, often think of as a, um, as a children's author, launches off into a suggestion that this is a, a passage from early Gnosticism and um, that the fig tree has all sorts of sim symbolism there. But you don't need to go that far away from um, uh, the orthodox beliefs uh, around angels to think that the understanding of what an angel was is something that is just, it's taken as read in, in, both, in both testaments. I do wonder sometimes when you go to places like um, uh, the British Museum and you see these Syrian crow-like things with 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 uh, human hands or human feet, you wonder whether that's why people are frightened of them in the in, in the Old Testament. But then, of course, you've got the three angels with Abraham who become associated with Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, and the idea that they are the three, as well as symbols of the Trinity. They are just three blokes who turn up and need hospitality, and they are, they're, they're, they are as human as they are angelic, if you like, um, mm. in that uh, that early passage. Certainly, for me, one of the angel things that I, I often think of is that while the angels are distinct as spirits, as Gregory the Great said in, in the Office of Readings this morning, um, the angel is the notion of, of the job they do, whereas a spirit is what they are. I do sometimes think that we are also um, one another's angels, or we're called upon to be angelic in our lives and be there for people. And um, certainly there have been a number of occasions, in fact, one, one this week, where just the right person was there at the right time for me. And it's something to mm. remember that it's our duty as well as anything else. You know, that, that the line that we I sometimes throw away in, in the in the Our Father of uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I remember my the priest that took me through the penny catechism, Father Pedrick in Blanford in the 1960s, saying, you know, we are all we're all each other's angels. We're all trying to be like like these people that do do the bidding of God immediately. Mm -hmm. I think there's lots to think about with with angels. They're not necessarily as as alien to us as perhaps, you know, it's easy for us to think. Yeah, that's true. And that brings me another passage to mind from Hebrews where it talks about entertaining angels unwittingly. So there, yeah. there's another one that might have featured somewhere in, in the liturgy. Um, I have a thought, but I think let's go on to our first piece of music. You've chosen a few Te Deums for us 
this morning? Well, I think that the you know, we're going to listen to, I think, one of the most beautiful pieces of, of chant around the angels a little bit later. But I do think it's worth remembering that one of the places that we meet the angels um, immediately is in the Sanctus. But that is, of course, echoed in the Te Deum. Um, where the angels ceaselessly cry out, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. So our first piece is the Te Deum um, in the monastic version from the Benedictine nuns of St. Cecilia, uh, from their album Transcend. Te Glad that we're starting with this passage, which with this piece from the nuns of Saint Cecilia's, whom I often sing their praises as often as I can. But also because but they're it, so beautiful, they, they do are. it so well. Yeah, they 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 really do. And um, <laughs> I, uh, when when we're talk, when thinking about what to say when uh, you know on this feast of Saint Michael and, and the Archangels. And the Te Deum, which I'd love for you to, to explain to those who don't know what the Te Deum is, if, if maybe you could tell us. But um, there's this passage from the Rule of St. Benedict, which uh, when it's talking about Psalmody in, in chapter 19, that I really love. Um, and he says, we must always remember, therefore, what the prophet says, serve the Lord with fear and again sing praise wisely. And in the presence of the angels, I will sing to you. Each of these are quotations from scripture let us consider then how we ought to behave in the presence of god and his angels and let us stand to sing the psalms in such a way that our minds are in harmony with our voices so i love that mention of the angels and to me it's it's uh it makes it somehow more um 
alive and more yeah. in uh, th this idea of joining in with the heavenly liturgy, which is what the, our liturgy is supposed to be doing, is, you know, rather than it being a a self-expression, um, not that that's completely absent, but this idea that we're we're locking into something um, happening above us, I think is is really amazing. Absolutely, the Te Deum begins with laudamus. We praise, we praise you, O God. Te Deum laudamus. It's not let us praise God. It's not an exhortation. It is the praise of God, along with all the angels. Tibi omnes angeli, tibi celiot universi potestatis. Tibi kerubim et seraphim, that tibi, 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 you, 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 just in the same way as we began with you. It's about all of us joining and looking towards God. And as someone said to me, that's what heaven is like. Everything is looking towards God. Mm. And I, I like that as a, as, a, as, a, as a vision of why the Te Deum is what it is. It's in two parts. If people don't know it, it used to be a, a lot more common in uh, the normal liturgy, I think. But it is the hymn of praise, which, like the Gloria, focuses on um, a Christocentric model of the whole universe. But it begins, Te Deum Laudamus, we praise you, O God, we acclaim you as the Lord, everlasting Father, all the world bows down before you. We then go through the whole church um, in heaven, because we are representing the church on earth. And then from that, we go into perhaps the most succinct version of the incarnation and the passion. And then at the end, possibly in a separate section, these days you can actually omit it if you want to, there is a series of supplications at the end. Hmm. It's a beautiful piece and occurs on every feast and solemnity um, After that I can think matins. of. Uh, after after matins, mm. I'm just wondering. I can never remember whether it, I know it's it doesn't happen during Lent. I can't remember whether it happens during Advent or not. And since I haven't got that preview in front of me, I can't scurry off and find it. But it's it's one of those markers of the church as a community of praise. And I think you know we can't so, we, we we neglect that at our peril, don't we? We we think about the littler bits or the bits where we're asking, but it's the same as the Our Father. It's the Holy is Your Name, which which is what really makes, um, in some ways, makes Christianity what it is. Yeah, I totally agree. I have a question for you, but I want us to move on to the next piece before I ask. That. I'm now nervous, but let's move on to the next. <laughs> That's a very simple question. Don't worry. So, tell us about this one. Okay, this is just an excerpt from Lully's Te Deum, um, and it is the bit where the uh, the soloists and choir are singing to to you. Do all the angels, the cherubim and seraphim, uh, call out to you in unending song? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. After we've done this, I wouldn't mind just a little bit of time thinking about what these hosts are, yes. because they confused me unutterably when I was a child. But let's listen to Lully. Amen. 
Fabulous. <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? Oh, it I really love that. And the way that that particular performance pauses so everyone gets a decent breath if they're the singers but also so that everybody is ready for that sanctus just should point out that of course this is the uh coeur de chambre de nemours and they're singing in french in the french accented way of doing latin so they're not singing sanctus they're singing sanctus um <laughs> which you, you you may have missed if you if you were um uh, when wanting a sanctus but that that sort of jolliness or busyness of heaven that suddenly stops for that sanctus, I think, is is a is a, a goose goosebump moment. Yeah, it is wonderful. So the question I had for you was, um, if you were to compile a list, and this is something I actually would like to do at some point, of all the pieces, all the 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 prayers, particularly the sung ones, that every Catholic should know, would the Te Deum be on your list? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, one of the things that I, I found hardest, although I could see why he did it, was, was uh, one when um, Pope St. Paul said that everyone should learn the Missa de Angelis. You will notice that I missed the Missa de Angelis off my playlist today, <laughs> even though it's shouting to be there. It's not my favourite Mass. But it is one that lots of people know, and it has that kind of momentum to it that you know you can get a congregation singing it very, very easily, very often. And that's that's absolutely fine. I quite understand that. But I would like to have seen the, the Te Deum also be one of those things that people should know, hmm. just like my story about the you know the the priest singing the Salve Regina and the whole of Notre Dame singing along with him. You know, I think the same ought to be true of the priest that at the end of end of Mass on the Feast of Christ the King, you know, the end of the liturgical year, stands in front of the altar and goes, Te Deum Laudamus, and we all went for it. That would be a great moment of setting the church as, uh, you know, the, as the people of God praising and worshipping God, because it's a magnificent poem. Uh, it really is. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm and, with you all the way, yeah. I'll stop enthusing on it, but you know what <laughs> My question about the, the Dominus Deus Sabaoth is that the Sabaoth has returned in the new translation of the Mass. And I was wondering what you felt about the Lord God of hosts okay. and how the host worked for you. Well, it's not something I've ever thought about, um, but I, I imagine what it's meaning is that he is the God of the hosts of heaven. Um, Yes, and, and actually that's where I would have gone with it with a with a translation. Yeah. Rather than God of power and might, which I think is very wishy-washy, yeah. uh, we've gone the other way and we talk about Lord God of hosts. And what are hosts? Well, when I was little, I genuinely thought this was about communion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually to have to have simply had Lord God of the heavenly hosts would have done me quite quite happily if we want the word hosts. But Sabaoth, you know, are it's an odd phrase to have retained from the Hebrew. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, the idea of the heavenly armies. But, you know, translators do what translators do. Um, when I was in, in uh, high school we, and we were doing uh, English collective nouns, one of the questions were, what is the collective noun for angels? And we were puzzling over this and, and I said, ah, it's an army of angels. And um, another girl said, "Why? Well, no, 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 it's, an, it's a choir of angels. And we were having this little argument in class until the teacher intervened and, and told us it was a host, which... Um, well, it's both, isn't it? You know, they, 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 are, they are like the Templars, if you like, both singing the praises of God and ready to fight. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure that the Templars are, are a model I'd want to adopt, especially the way that they have 
misused uh, in, in more recent times. But I do think that, that there is a sense there of the angels being all of these things that God um, has around him. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the way that the archangels themselves are there if you go to somewhere like Monreale, for example, the beautiful Byzantine mosaic in the, in the Romanesque cathedral uh, in Sicily, they are, the angels are there bent over worshipping God. They, everyone else is standing up, but they, like the, court, like the court officials closest to the emperor, are at an angle of 95 degrees. They do not stand upright. Mm. They are there permanently worshipping God. And I think you know, we, I wouldn't say we neglect them at our peril, but if we think of them as something that is... Uh, cutesy um, we're, we're making them a bit like sort of Victorian fairies if we're not careful and that's not what we've got we've got something that sings and we've got something that worships and we've got something that sends messages it's it's a fascinating cosmology really yeah it is truly a fascinating cosmology so so what? one of the other things they do said he looking for a link into this next piece of music <laughs> is that they offer incense and um it's very clear from uh, both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that this vision of offering incense like the levites like the te- like is happening among the the temple assistants is something that that occurs in the visions of the angels so what we've got next is we've got the offertory for today's feast we don't often have the offertories and I don't know many any, in fact, I don't think I know any congregations, not even monastic houses, where the offertory is sung as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. This, however, is a fantastic piece of music. Can I ask people to listen out for a couple of things? In this particular recording, the choir has put a rhythm so that grouped neumes um, become almost grace notes. So we're going to hear some ah ha ha instead of ah ha ha. There's a, a bit more liveliness to it because of that, and there's a liquescent note which keeps re- recurring. Incenza, and it's just a, it, when it's written down in the chant, it's a tiny note underneath it, and you're supposed really, if you've got an N or something like that, you're supposed to sing the N while you do it. Incenza, and I think it's it's worth listening out for those. Mm. But I want everyone to have their socks knocked off after the Incenza multa, the ascendit that comes out, the the uh, smoke that ascends to God is an expressive piece of music. Anybody that tells me that expressive music only started with Beethoven needs to be made to listen to this. <laughs> All right, here it is. Hold on to your socks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. 
Wow. It reminds me a little bit of, of some of the things that happen in the um, Macmillan we're going to hear later. Oh, right. Go on yeah. then. Or we're are just, you going to wait until... Yeah, I mean, it's, these. so I find this a very interesting interpretation of, of the plain chant because, like you say, the turning the um, joined neumes into into grace notes is an interpretation that I, I usually don't like because I... I hear it on pieces that I'm familiar with in in the other way, and then it just feels like the singer is sort of rushing over these notes where they need more time. But this, as a piece that I actually don't know, um, I think it's 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 sort of won me over because it suddenly it sounds like he's uh, the singers are just sort of um, lilting around uh, the melody, which makes more sense actually. And um, so these, you know, that sort of... Uh, Which sound to me quite like the Greek way of singing chant. Yeah. Um, the, yes, I, I think you're right. I, I, I do like those. That, that repeated e in chants are I think that, that a repeating phrase like that is also an interesting way of going. There's not many pieces of chant that will be as bold with those little formulae as as, uh, as this would, apart from the one that occurs in practically every piece of chant, which is the ah, 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 ah. But that one, to, to, to come up three times in one piece of chant, is, is interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder whether it has a particular um, importance because at the point at which this is sung, one of the one of the ministers is going to be coming up to the altar with the incense. So we're we're having underlined to us that we are, as you were saying earlier, um, in the sight of the angels. We are doing the angels' work here. Um, mm. You know, the, we're we're, ta we're taking incense to the altar, not maybe in the same way as they were doing, sort of in the fifth century BCE, but we are certainly doing. Um, reenacting the same visions of heaven, mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's you know, maybe is one of the reasons why this has such a special significance. Because the idea of the the um, the angel with the incense comes up in the res responsory that's in the uh, in the office. The idea of incense being part of what we have and do uh, as part of our liturgy, if you like, gets a legitimization by the fact that the angels do it too. Mm. Um, or that we we look at the symbol the, the symbolic nature of this vision of the angels and say how can we how can we copy that how can we be like the angels? Um, but it is it's, I'm glad you like it as a piece of music. I think it's a it's a wonder wonder in lots of ways. Mm. Yes. Should we move on a few centuries? We shall. Yeah. <laughs> so another okay. favorite of, of of mine. I really do love starting the day off with a little bit of Bach. I was really Go. hoping to find exactly the version that that you had suggested um, by the the uh, Netherlands Bach Society, but um, it turns out it's actually quite hard to find a recording of it um, apart from what's what's available on YouTube, which I, I highly recommend everyone to go and look for. And what's lovely about it is that they they seem to have tuned their instruments a, a bit higher than um, than the other recordings I found, and it's quite a, ah, a little bit quicker. Musician, you see, I haven't seen that at all, but yeah, okay. Well, it's just because I was playing them back to back. I kept on trying to find a version that was was the same. Anyways, I've I've I I found one um, that is is good. Um, I 
can't tell you the artist now because I just have written here various artists on the recording. <laughs> But, um, <laughs> well, this is this is an odd piece anyway because this Gloria was probably part of a uh, of a mass a Latin mass that um, that Bach wrote, whereas in fact it it stands on its own as a, a as a cantata. Okay. Um, uh, and here we go. Here we go. was lovely i really enjoyed that um perhaps it's it's worth remembering where this text first appears um i'm not sure if we if you alluded to that already and i just missed it but um these are the angels singing above um the shepherds in in yes Bethlehem. yeah and you know we we sing this um Uh, regularly and perhaps even without thinking um, sometimes in, in mass. It was the practice at one point for only a bishop to intone the Gloria 
because oh. it was seen as such a holy text that mm-hmm. it was it was one of those songs that you sang in the presence of the bishop, and it was his job to do it. That faded, I think, fair, relatively quickly. But these days, you know, I'm sometimes called upon to be that person. The cantor sings it. I can understand why of a priest that feels uh, less confident or faced with a, a very difficult one to uh, to pitch properly for everybody, and you get into all sorts of things about whether they can hear the organ, and uh, I can understand it. But we do have to remember this is one of the central Christological hymns of the Christian faith, and it begins with the incarnation. It begins with the with the the proclamation of the angels. I think it's a. It's a wonderful piece, but we have we we uh, we overuse it at our peril, perhaps. The same thought came to to my mind when you mentioned that is that I've had priests look over at me and and sort of raise their eyebrows and say, <laughs> "You you intern it, you intern." Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not the um, priest. <laughs> I mean, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we, these things move around. As I said, there was a point when only bishops used to intone it. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand that that perhaps meant, meant all sorts of liturgical complications where people were running around for the right books halfway through the, the first part of the Mass. Mm. But there is also a sense that when whoever does it, whether it's a whether it's a priest, whether it's a religious, whether it's a man or a woman, it really doesn't matter as long as what we do is we do it knowing that we are echoing the words of the angels on Christmas night. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think that that's. I almost feel like saying that if if we had one, me- I had one message for this program, it would be that remembrance that whatever these performances that we play are we should be remembering that line from St. Benedict about being in the presence of the of God and his angels when we sing them. And, of course, Augustine's line that he who sings prays twice, which I think is a, mm. is a, is a nice image. That man was a musician, I'm sure he was, even though he had no sense of smell. But that's a, it's an entirely different thing about St. Augustine. <laughs> so All do right. you want to know my bizarre facts about the seven holy archangels and what no, names they Yes, have? tell me. I spent a jolly time uh, while you were doing something much more pious than saying your office this morning. Um, I was uh, looking at the names of the holy archangels. We've only got three mentioned in um, the Bible as it stands at the moment, and that's Gabriel, Michael and Raphael. And uh, they are, as it says here, in uh, commemorated together liturgically in the Catholic Church, but each formally had their own feast, which I think we've mentioned before. Raphael comes in Tobit. I am Raphael, one of the seven angels who stand and serve before the glory of the Lord. In other words, the seven is there right from the earliest mention of them. But in some of those by uh, some of those pieces that didn't quite make it into the Bible, if you want to be as as loose about that as as possible. Um, The fourth book of Esdras, apparently, mentions an angel called Uriel and an archangel Jeremiel. And these are adopted by texts that are no longer part of the the canon. And, of course, the name Uriel then does re-emerge with uh, with, uh, William Blake. But in the the, uh, the tradition, we do have lists of uh, angels. The Orthodox uh, there's an Orthodox icon uh, icon which gives us Jegudiel, Gabriel, Selafiel, Michael, Uriel, Raphael, Barakiel, um, 
and with them is a wonderful icon here of the cherubim in blue and the seraphim in red who look a bit like a football team but actually it's it's a it's a beautiful thing but sealtiel meaning the intercessor of god jegudiel the glorifier of god barakiel blessed by god and jeramiel meaning god's exaltation um, there's lots and lots of them. The 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 the, uh, the Coptic uh, Church um, has uh, Suriel, Sadakiel, Sarathiel, Anathiel. The Ethiopian Orthodox have uh, have three others, and in some churches there are eight angels rather than seven. Um, but in any way, there they all are, and we'll we'll leave them if you like to that. With the warning that apparently the uh, directory on uh, popular piety is. Dis- discouraging uh, us looking for the names of the archangels. So I'll give them there as a scholarly note rather than a, 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 um, uh, an idea that it should incite people to piety. But it only takes one or two clicks on YouTube to find very, very odd corners talking about the angels. You will have gathered I, I have a, a great time for devotion to the angels. But go and click on some of this stuff and it is... Um, post-Kabbalic stuff that people have oh, you know, wow. dug up, whatever. And I think to a certain extent it comes with a bit of a health warning. The internet doesn't always give you orthodoxy. Um, and that's, it. <laughs> that's something we have to remember when you see, you know, here, here is a prayer you can write, write, on, write on your hand and it will summon the archangels for you. And I'm just thinking we're very close to magic spells here yes. if we're not careful. <laughs> We are indeed. I think it might be true to say that the internet occasionally gives you orthodoxy. <laughs> yes, maybe that should be my strapline mission statement. That would be a good one. Yeah. So while we're thinking about people who push the boat out a little bit on that, we do have a hymn of, of St. Hildegard of Bingen in praise of the Holy Angels. And um, those of you that uh, are aware of our theme tune, being sung by Harpa Dei, will be listening out for the same kind of uh, sonority that they give. I rather like this one because of the way that they treat it as an inventive piece of medieval music. And I think reconstructing it rather than just having someone singing it a cappella gives it a new a new sound. This is Harpa Dei um, with uh, the hymn in praise of the holy angels, O living light, O angels glorious. Um, Below divinity upon the eyes divine you gaze within the darkness mystical of all creation. It's it's um it's Hildegard at one of her most expressive. <laughs> splendid job don't they harp a day 
Don't they just? Don't they I just? I really it? want to get them on the radio at some point, um, but I haven't haven't managed to reach out to them yet. Well, I haven't had the time. Um, no. If we could set up a link so that we could talk to them, because you know they do most of their work on the continent, I think it would be it would yeah. be well well doing. That would be super. Okay, let's move on then. Um, today's uh, or next Sunday's introit, uh, which I suspect we only have time for a little bit of, if I'm honest, uh, but it is all that thou hast done to us, O Lord, thou hast done in true judgment, because we have sinned against thee. Um, rather than playing the chant, there's a piece here by 16th century composer Adrian Willerts um, in his Musica Nova, and it's a beautiful piece, but just listen to the beginning. Pin back your lug holes for these first few first few notes. I think it's amazing. I genuinely thought that that first, that those first three notes, there was a, there was a, a voice missing, um, and the way that it builds into the full choir, I think, is a wonderful piece. Yeah, I think I I need to sit and listen to that with a cup of coffee. Uh, if you scroll through YouTube, I did find a version which had the which had a score attached to it, and that made a lot more sense. Yeah. I did see that. Um, it's yeah. one of the things where, as the music goes through, the scrolls, the score scrolls through, through, and it was worth it was worth following up on that. Mm. Yeah. So we've got two Saints Days to think of, as well as um, you know, we have only really nodded at this Sunday, but we've got to remember Saint Teresa of the Child Jesus on the second of October. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, sorry, on the first of October, and um, well worth our remembering. I suggest, I have found her poems, but I suggest that rather than reading one of them, they're not to everybody's taste these days. We perhaps ought to move on to the fourth and St. Francis. Yeah, let's move on to Or is that unseemly to... haste of mine? Um, I think given given the time we have left, it would probably be a good idea to, to move on to St. Francis. But I do... Well, we promised people a Macmillan, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is a new song by Macmillan and um, what's it, what is its connection with, with St. Francis of Assisi? Simply that it's about all of the earth. It's one of those pieces that I think links the Psalms to Francis to current ecological concerns and I think therefore it's, it's worth our listening to. Mm. 
the piece goes on, but that's all we really have time for. I must say, I, I love McMillan. Those... Yeah, go on. Sorry. No, I just, I one of the things I've loved about doing this program with you, Nick, is is the amount of Macmillan that it's introduced me to, and and it's it's really, I'm starting to understand a little bit more of his um, trademarks and things, and and they really do get under your skin. In the they best do. Ways. I think he's nodding to to um, Scottish folk music. There, you're saying well, it has those links further back into chant, and I can I can see what you're saying. Mm. Uh, it is worth well worth listening to all the way through because it, that uh, thing that we then heard from the upper voices gets repeated in the lower voices and then becomes more complex. It's a it's a it's a great piece of music. Yeah. So, so shall we move to a completely different style for indeed. the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal and St. Francis? Yes, so we're going to play something from um, a group of musicians from the Franciscan Friars, uh, led by Father Tanzi, whom we placed some of his music here on Red Maria, and I really love his spirit. It's, he just has something very clear, very fresh, very beautiful about um the simple songs that he writes and the way that he delivers them. So this one is called Rising. And um, yeah, it's nice to give a little shout out to the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal because they do so so much wonderful things. Um, so many wonderful things. And some of those things appear on Radio Maria. So here is Rising from those friars. So if you haven't heard the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal before, you can find their music online, um, specifically Father Tansy. He's my favorite. That one is a is a very sort of um, free kind of worship uh, session, as as the youth would call it these days. 
<laughs> you, you do you not count yourself as the youth, Tim? Uh, I think I'm. I don't think they would count me as one of them anymore. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so we come to the end then. Before we get into the deeper waters of what it's like to be sixty-six, um, uh, we, come, we we come to the end of our program today. And I I've proposed that what we have today for a Marian anthem is the uh, Ave Regina Celorum, Hail Queen of the Heavens, Ave Domina Angelorum, Hail Lady of the Angels. It seemed appropriate since we have spent so much time with the angels. Um, but here we've got uh, a 17th century English Catholic composer, Peter Phillips. Are we saying goodbye before this or are we going to wait till afterwards? Um, let's say goodbye now. <laughs> okay. Well, goodbye, everybody. Happy Feast of, uh, of Michaelmas. If you're eating goose, then I hope the goose is happy about that. Um, and uh, for everybody else, also, happy Feast of St. Teresa, happy Feast of St. Francis, and uh, all being well, we will see you next week. We shall. You forget that it's a Friday, however, so goose is, is technically off the... Oh dear, yes. Well, of course, Goose was not in the medieval church because the zoologists said that it was spontaneously generated from barnacles and therefore wow. was a fish. Um, <laughs> that was a, a very clever piece of science going on there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Almost alchemy, you could say. Um, Almost. <laughs> so, yes, we, we very much look forward to um, bringing you another episode of the Liturgical Looking Glass and hopefully I will not stumble over the introduction that I've said a dozen times at least um, next time. But it's been wonderful doing this, with, as it always is with you, Nick. Um, and same here. Yeah, so so see you all next week. And here is um, an Ave Regina Chilorum.
Angelus Domini, nun sia vit Grazia plena Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesu. 